please stay right where you are because it's time for GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no compromise voice for gun owners. Stay tuned for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. And now, your host for GeorgiaCarry.org radio, Doug and Jesse King. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to GeorgiaCarry.org radio. I'm Doug King. I'm your host today. I'm flying solo, so we're going to try to keep it interesting as we go through a huge stack of stuff off this last week. And it has been an incredible week in politics as we look forward at everything that the president is doing, all of the national debate following the San Bernardino shooting last week. And last week after the shooting, Jesse and I were in here talking about, you know, kind of the ramifications and, and what we need to be doing as a society. And, you know, our position has always been, aside from Georgia Carey, aside from everything else that we do in life, is that we are responsible for our own personal security, that we are as individuals, the people who need to be taking responsibility to make sure that we are safe, that our friends and family are safe around us, that those who are in capable of taking care of themselves, either because of of physical disability or age, either too old or too young, who cannot defend themselves, that we stand in the gap for them. I don't see any reason that I need to take care of my neighbor who is perfectly capable of taking care of themselves but chooses not to. I see myself as being responsible for myself, my kids, my family, and those who are not able to take care of themselves. But that was the focus of last week. Now, this week, as we have moved out, you know, two steps away from the shooting, Things have changed. Now we're starting to get into the national debate. What should we be doing? And, of course, just at the beginning of the week, we heard the president come out and, and give his speech you know, during primetime TV on, on what needs to happen and how we don't need to live in fear. And I agree with him. I agree. There is absolutely no reason for Americans to live in fear of terrorism. There is absolutely no reason that we need to alter our lifestyle or change who we are to become a different, fearful, cowardly people. But the problem is, is how do we get to the point where we are not living in fear? And the president's answer is to disarm us. For some strange reason, the man wholeheartedly believes that the best thing that can happen to the American people so that they don't have to worry is to take away their sense of security and leave them completely at the hands of people who want to do them harm. And this baffles me. There is absolutely no way that I can understand why the leader of the free world thinks that we need to be disarmed in order to be happier or to feel safer than we would in in what all of our previous presidents what all of our founders saw as a fundamental human right and that is the right to self-defense now there is some debate on whether or not we need to be changing our definition of freedom and self-defense and i think that that is a losing battle no matter which way you turn it as we go into this holiday season we we see more and more police officers people who are on the front lines every day our emergency workers turning to us and saying hey you need to be accountable for your own security now i know many of you check out our facebook page on a regular basis and, and i appreciate that i would love to see more comments and more you know direction on what you'd like to see on the facebook page but this week i have been pushing a lot of material to the facebook page so that you can see that this this national debate this this direction of gun control that the white house is taking is not being heralded by everybody in law enforcement is not being heralded by everybody the, the entire idea of of common sense gun laws are are is is been commandeered okay folks the president is trying to use this as subterfuge and and it's very orwellian 
I mean, when we start to get into using words in ways other than their original intention, you know, this is irony at its best because common sense gun laws would be laws that foster what people accept as being a normal, rational course of action. And defending yourself is normal and rational. Turning in your ability to defend yourself, putting yourself at the mercy of others, is not normal, it is not rational, and it is not common sense. And yet, we use the opposite words to describe what's trying to be accomplished here. And it is straight out of 1984. I mean, George Orwell saw all this back in the 30s when he dealt with communism in Russia, and he studied what was happening in Russia during the 1920s and 30s and 40s as he saw the, the progressive change, he wrote this fantastic novel that lays out what's going to happen in the future in, in a remarkable and stunning degree. You know, in, in my religious background, we talk about how as in, and at the end of time there's going to be dreams and visions. And I don't believe that we have dreams and visions like, you know, they, there are stories in the Old Testament where they talk about, you know, Joseph interpreting the dreams of Pharaoh anymore. But I think that 1984 is a dream or a vision of the future. I think that... Jules Verne had a dream or a vision of the future when he could predict how we would be launching, you know, vehicles into outer space from Cape Canaveral. I, I think that there are people who have these moments of insight and they see the writing on the wall, so to speak, and see what's coming. And George Orwell was one of them. He predicted flat screen TVs that were watching what you were doing. He predicted that the government would be using language to control the population. There are so many things that are coming to fruition that are just really scary things. And we need to stand in the gap. We need to hold up our own against these, these abuses and usurpations of our freedom. This is freedom that we fought for hard. This is freedom that my grandfather fought in World War II for, and many of you served in, in World War II, in Korea, in Vietnam, in the Gulf Wars, and that's a sad commentary in and of itself, that we talk about the Gulf Wars as an ongoing problem. I mean, from 1991 until 2015, we have some sort of ongoing involvement in the Gulf region that seems to have no end in sight. And so here we are, in 2015, dealing with a government that thinks that we need to be taken away from everything that we believe in, that we need to be to be completely at their beck and call, that we exist to serve the government, that we produce the tax money for the government, the government is basically lending us money when we work, that they can dictate our wages, that they can dictate how we have to spend our money, what we have to buy, including health care. Everything is regulated to such a degree that the government is going to, to dictate the very essence of our lives. And in the midst of all this, they turn around and say, oh, and by the way, you don't have a right to self-defense. You don't have a right to stand up for yourself. If you see something, say something, but don't say anything that's going to get you in trouble and then on top of that don't worry about protecting yourself because we have police officers to do that for you you know last week we talked about what happens when the police are four minutes away and you know you're sitting here listening you, know, you might be listening in your car on a saturday morning you might be listening online while you're trying to get some work done you know you're, you're listening to my voice and what's going on on the radio and you're maybe you know tuning in real intently but most of the time at least when i listen to talk radio i've kind of got it on the background i'm picking up little things as i'm driving and then all of a sudden there was four seconds of dead air four seconds it got your attention you stopped what you were doing, and you looked down at the radio, didn't you? Or you looked over at your, your laptop and said, huh, what happened? Did it stop working? Am I buffering? What happened to the signal? Well, you know what happened? 
Four seconds to get your attention. When the police at best are four minutes away. When the police at best and most response time in major cities are 12 to 15 minutes away. That four seconds seemed like an eternity. It's an astonishing thing that we are in a country founded on freedom, and yet we're having a debate on the most basic human right, the right to self-defense. That it, it's, it just it, it is awe-inspiring. It is staggering. It is a, a terrible thing that we have gotten to this point. But the president wanted to have this debate. He's been trying to force this debate for years, and we won't have any of it. After the, the Newtown shooting, there was a call for increased gun control. And I remember, because I was up in Alaska at that time, and I remember thinking, oh, crud. Here we go. We've got, a re- we've got a Democrat Congress. We've got a Democrat president. We've got a Supreme Court that's going to look at this as a political question because you've got concurrence between Congress and the president. There's going to be massive new gun control legislation. And everybody saw that coming because they went out and bought AR-15s and PMAGs like they were going out of style. They were going for way more than they were worth. Not that PMAGs are worth that much to begin with, plastic mags. I mean, come on, guys. Seriously, plastic mags? Is that really the best thing that we can come up with? We've, we've been designing weapons here in this country for over 150 years. We, we've invented the 1911. We invented the BAR. We invented, well, I guess, and, and the, the Winchester 1897 pump shotgun, the first pump shotgun. All of these fantastic weapons, most of them were invented by John Browning. But still, we have come up with these most incredible ideas. And yet the biggest advances we see coming in firearms design these days are plastic magazines. Seriously? Anyway. So here we are in a country that's founded on innovation and freedom, and we're supposed to be having this national debate on whether or not we want to keep firearms. And, and this is just totally against everything that we were founded on. This is against the Second Amendment. It is against the founding principles of the revolution. It is against every single thing that we have done as a society was to bring this to a point where the individual could protect themselves, protect themselves against both the, the worst of humanity and the worst of government. And yet now government tells us we don't need to worry. There's no reason for a American citizen to need an assault weapon. And these are not assault weapons. The weapons that are used in these crimes, like the San Bernardino shooting, are not assault weapons. They are just simply semi-automatic rifles that are being used to assault people. And it is not the weapon that is doing the assaulting. It's the person. When we look at what is going on, we need to change the language. And, and Orwell was right at the heart of that. Orwell was looking at this and saying, hey, the language is what f- shapes the debate. Shaping the debate changes the minds. Changing the minds changes the heart. And the next thing you know, everyone's going around saying, I love Big Brother. Folks, we are coming up on a commercial break. When we come back, we're going to be talking a little bit more about what the president is trying to do this week, what we need to do to get involved, and how you can help GeorgiaCarry.org get it done. We are going to be right back. Stay tuned. And now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. During the commercial break, we were talking a little bit, just before the commercial break, we were talking a little bit about Orwell, the way that the the language of the debate has changed. And this is crucial because we are seeing so many groups come out against firearms ownership. And it is really a startling change in the way that the debate is being formed. We hear the president talk about common sense gun laws. Well, his definition of common sense is a complete and outright ban, which has no common sense about it whatsoever. Any reasonable rationale 
rational person would look at this and say, hey, what we need to do is make sure that individuals can take care of themselves. And failing that, when, when the individual fails, then government has an obligation to try to track down the person who has harmed the individual. That's what police do. Police are not there to make sure that you are not harmed. Police are there to enforce the laws against people who have committed a crime. Now, the person who's responsible for you not getting hurt in the first place is you. You're supposed to stand up in the gap because the police can't be there. And the Supreme Court has already ruled on that. The Supreme Court has said that police do not have a duty to protect you. And this is crucial because if they had a duty to protect you, when they failed that duty or breached that duty, you would have a cause of action against them as a tort. But instead, they do not have any duty to protect you. Their duty is to enforce the law against someone who has committed a crime against you. And if you happen to be killed or hurt in the in the commission of that crime, that's not the police's responsibility. And yet we're supposed to turn in our guns, turn away from personal self-defense because we have police officers. And one of the most disturbing things I saw on the Internet, the thing that got my blood to boil this last week, and I mean boil, I was livid when I saw this, was a picture of a SWAT team, all right? These are guys with the helmets on, with the, the, the big shields in front, holding MP5s, dressed head to toe in black, with masks across their face, and, and looking like stormtroopers, just, you know, a photo negative of stormtroopers from the new Star Wars movie, right? They're black garb, their helmets, their evil-looking intention. And the writing across it said, it took 27 of these guys to stop the San Bernardino shooter. What would an average gun owner possibly do? And you know what? I'll tell you what an average gun owner can possibly do. When the San Bernardino shooters come into the cafeteria, when they're wearing their black garb and toting their rifles, the average gun owner would return fire. And at the moment the average gun owner is returning fire, it stops being a shooting gallery and turns into a situation where they need to take cover, where they are suppressed in their movements, and where they cannot go simply room to room, door to door, and shoot people in the back of the head. That's what an average gun owner can do. And an average gun owner can do it and the instant they walk into that room, as long as they're not disarmed by a gun-free zone, as long as they're not disarmed by politicians who are hoping for a massacre to be able to use it for their own political agenda, as long as they're not disarmed by short-sighted administrators and business owners who would rather people be unarmed and sitting ducks than to be able to defend themselves when bad things happen. Now, you know, we, we have heard an awful lot of talk about the visa program, too. And Donald Trump stuck his foot in his mouth this last week saying that he was going to ban entry into this country by all Muslims. And then he said, no, 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 they're misquoting me. I was going to say we we're going to ban entry by all Muslims until we figure out what's wrong with the visa program. And you know what? Either way, it's not going to help, Donald. I'm, I'm just being honest with you. The, there's absolutely nothing you can do to the visa program that's going to keep all the bad guys out. Just like there's absolutely nothing you can do to the criminal code that's going to keep all the bad guys from committing crimes in Atlanta, Georgia. Just like there's absolutely nothing you can do to the gun laws that are going to keep guns out of the hands of bad people. These things are not the way that you change behavior. The way you change behavior is by changing the hearts and minds of people. The way you change behavior is by imposing such stiff penalties for their actions that they think twice about it. And the way you change behavior is by ensuring that anyone who makes steps out of line has swift consequences and immediate repercussions, not necessarily from the government. When an individual can step up into the gap and cause any person who's going about to commit a crime to think twice or thrice about whether or not they can commit successfully perpetrate the crime without losing their life, 
it makes an entirely different dynamic. And even with, even if we were able to do what I think we need to do, which is get a, a licensed or constitutional carry gun owner carrying two or three people to every, at least every floor of every building in this fair country, if we were able to accomplish that, then the people who are doing the attacks would simply change their tactics. But you know what? I want to keep them on the run. I want to keep the people who want to do evil having to rethink and remobilize and reassess their plans. I don't want it to be that it's just inevitable. You know, the president was talking this week about we, we can't let this become commonplace. This will be commonplace as long as it works. As long as there are people who can pull off these kind of crimes, they, they get their message across that they are able to hurt people, as long as that works works it will be commonplace we have to make it so it doesn't work the only way to make it that so that it doesn't work is to have people be able to take care of their own selves and this is just an absolute travesty that our government tries to, to disarm us we're looking at what the president was saying earlier in the week you know his his great speech in prime time came about because he wasn't able to get the american public behind what he was saying he had filled out some press releases he had had you know some of his aides make statements there was no backlash the the democrats in congress put up bills to to change the gun laws in order to make it so that people on no fly lists can and i'm going to tell you about no fly lists this is the other load of 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 garbage that has ever been spewed by the government. Yes, let's make it so that people who have absolutely no recourse, who have no judicial process, can are abridged a fundamental right. And what if we had a no publishing list? What do you think the backlash would be if we had a no publishing list where these people, they were the government picked the people who were on the list. There was no judicial oversight. There was no appeals. There was no reason given. The government could just make a list and say, eh, you can't publish anything on the Internet or online or a newspaper or speak out on the radio or call into a talk show. You can't do any of those things. You're on the list. And you say, well, how did I get on the list? We're not telling you. How do I get off the list? We're not telling you. What do I do about the list? We're not telling you. But you can't do any of these things. There would be such public outcry. The ACLU would be breaking down the doors. Judges would be determining it unconstitutional. The whole world would turn on its head if there was a no publishing list. And yet that's exactly what this is going to become. This is going to become a no rights list, where if the government decides on its own that you're supposed to be on this list, that there's absolutely no recourse for you. And you want to talk about people who are on the no-fly list? Yes, let's talk about some of the people who are on the no-fly list. Ted Kennedy was on the no-fly list. Why on earth is Ted Kennedy on the no-fly list? Or was, now that he's dead, I imagine they might have taken his name off. Maybe they didn't. Maybe he's still on the no-fly list. And you've got Cat Stevens. Now, Cat Stevens, this is a name that's come up over and over and over again this week in the media. And I want to say... I can kind of understand how Cat Stevens got on the no-fly list because he doesn't go by Cat Stevens anymore. He converted to Islam and he says he's, you know, very peaceful and he doesn't have any hope of, of setting up a caliphate or taking over the world or anything like that. He's just writing his music and he just released a new album under his new name, which for the life of me, I cannot remember. Since I'm flying solo, I'm not going to ask anyone else to look it up. But Cat Stevens, you know, converted to, to Islam and that got him on the no-fly list. Now, should he be on the no-fly list? No. Why is he on it? Because of fear and prejudice? Does it help anybody that Cat Stevens is on the no-fly list? No. Yet he's on there and he can't get off. Like so many people. There are four and five-year-olds on the no-fly list. What do they do? Their name sounds too much like somebody else. Or, for political reasons, people are put on the list in order to make their lives miserable. And I'm going to tell you, as a prosecutor, I saw people come through my office 
And I said, uh, warning, suspected domestic terrorist. I've seen things that have happened time and time again on the criminal defense side where people are put on lists or they have f- red flags set up that changes the way that the government deals with them. And these are scary things. This is all done without due process. And we have a, a requirement under the Constitution that there is due process. And this is not perfect process. It's not that you're entitled to, you know, like, like the death penalty appeal system for everything the government does. But my goodness, there's there's got to be some way that you can challenge and fight what's going on in your government and what's being done to you. And these no-fly lists are a way that are completely out of the, the normal course of doing business where you have no recourse whatsoever on what they're doing to you. And they want to extend this so that if you are on their, their, their poop list, <laughs> that, my goodness, you can't do anything. And that they can put anybody on there at any time, that there's absolutely nothing that can be done about it. And this is a travesty. This is absolutely a travesty of justice. You know, the, the president says, we don't want to give up what makes us Americans. We don't want to become something that Americans not. America is not a country where you can be put on the list and taken and, and, and blackballed from a constitutional right, a fundamental constitutional right that the Supreme Court has upheld over and over again is a fundamental right. And yet here we are trying to take a away this right from people and put them on a list that has absolutely no recourse. It is insanity at its coarse definition, folks. So here we, and, and who is standing up against this? Who is, is saying that this is just absolutely BS? Nobody. Nobody's jumping up and down in the media. Nobody's jumping up and down in Congress. Nobody is jumping up and down on the Republican campaign trail, decrying the no fly. Well, Rand Paul probably is. I mean, he, he decries most things and Sad to see him slide into the the bottom tier this week, but you know it's kind of inevitable. Anyone who is going to take that kind of a hard line is not going to be able to get as much traction. Although it's very strange that Donald Trump is doing so well when he takes an absolute hard line, and it seems to increase his standing. I you know I was listening to Rush this last week, and Rush was talking about how Obama created Donald Trump. I'm sorry, Rush, you are absolutely dead wrong. Obama did not create Donald Trump. Donald. <laughs> <laughs> it makes me think of when Obama said, you didn't build this. That would be a great cartoon is to have Obama telling Trump, you didn't build this. I built you. But the, the truth is, is that this has nothing to do with Obama. It has nothing to do with the backlash against the president or the president's policies. This is a backlash against Republicans who are not doing their job, who were sent to Congress to do a job and who have not done it. Folks, we're at a commercial break. We will be back in just a second. Stay tuned. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, folks. When I took the break, we were talking a little bit about Donald Trump and his, his meteoric rise and, and uh, not any kind of, of slowing down in his populist agenda. And, and the thing is, is Rush last week was saying how Obama created Trump. Trump was created by having, if you want to put one person, one person to blame for Trump and his doing well in the numbers, if you don't like Trump, you need to go and kick down Jim Bonner's door and punch him in the nose, because that is the person who created Donald Trump. Nobody else. Nobody else can claim credit for creating Donald Trump beyond Jim Bonner, because over we're, we're, we've been looking at what happened in this country in the last eight years, and we want to say, oh, President Obama has really destroyed the country. He's added trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. There is not one single spending bill that originated in the White House. There is not one single spending plan that started with 
President Obama's pen and his phone. All of this came out of the House of Representatives. So you say, oh, well, who is in charge of the House of Representatives? Jim Bonner. When we were at, at the end of every one of these, these shooting tragedies, when people would go out and buy guns because they were afraid their government was going to take them away. Every time you see this huge spike in the number of gun sales, whenever you see the, the price of PMAGs go through the roof, every time that ammo has become hard to find, that is a condemnation of our government. That is the American people in going out and saying, I don't trust our government not to take away my rights and freedoms. And it has happened over and over again in the last, not just the last eight years, not when the Democrats were in control, like at the end of Sandy Hook, when I was saying earlier that I was in Alaska and I saw this was going to happen, it was writing on the wall and everyone was afraid. But it's happened since then. We've had over and over again these spikes where people became more and more afraid of the government taking their weapons away and taking their freedoms away and taking their ability to defend themselves away when the Republicans were in control of Congress. If the Republicans were doing their job, if they were there as the will of the people, exercising the will of the people, and getting the people what they wanted, if the people trusted the Republicans to do what they were asking them to do, would there have been these spikes in sales? Not at all. So every one of these is a, a public opinion poll. A public opinion poll in the... Okay, we've got a lot of polls floating around, right? We're coming up on the election year. People are being polled left, right, and center. And one of the most staggering statistics I heard this last week was that 80% of Republicans could change their vote as the president at this time. So there's huge volatility in the polling data. But you know where you... You want to know what polling data meets the road where it becomes really real for people? Where they're spending money. You ever heard the expression, put your money where your mouth is? Well, people do that all the time. People put their money where they believe the market is going. People put their money in what they trust and what they think is going to happen. All the stock market is a barometer on the state of the economy because if people put their money into it, they're they're confident in it. If they take their money out of it, then they think that that company is going to fail. And when people started buying up guns and ammo, it was a condemnation on this government that their government was failing them. A government that was controlled, the Congress was controlled by Republicans. And as we went through the massive spending, the massive foreign aid, the, the, the bailouts, everything that the Republicans have done over and over again throughout the last six years of them being in Congress, the American people have finally turned around and said, you know what? If I have to vote between the Democrats and the Democrats light, if I'm voting between Bernie Sanders and the Communist Party versus this Jeb Bush and the D- New Democrat Party, I'm not going to vote for anybody. And then... And then out of the mists comes somebody who cannot be bought because he's already richer than, than King Midas himself and says, hey, I'm going to say whatever I want and no one can stop me. And the more he says whatever I want, the more people say, this is awesome. This is someone who is not bought and paid for. This is someone who is not, quote unquote, establishment. And I hate that term. I hate the term establishment Republicans because they're not the establishment. They're not what makes the Republican Party. The Republican Party is a loose coalition that is rapidly falling apart. And the reason the Republicans started to make gains back in 1994 was not because the, there was an establishment that was able to guide the Republicans into taking control of the House away from the Democrats after 40 years. The reason that the Republicans made Gaines and Newt Gingrich was able to do what he did was that they made a promise to the American people and they drew in divergent sects of the American people that were not being served by their government. You had the Christian coalition from the South come together with a whole bunch of other divergent interests into the Republican Party at that time to sweep in and take control of the Congress because they were the American people were once again afraid of what a Democrat 
president was doing with a Democrat Congress. The Bill Clinton at the very beginning looked just like Obama at the very beginning. And the same sort of changes happened. Whereas in 1994, through the end of the Clinton administration, we saw almost nothing good happening except for in the economy, which was pretty fantastic. I mean, in 2000, we were talking about retiring the national debt. But... We saw nothing good happening with our rights, with our freedoms, with the way the government was being run. <coughs> Obama was on the same trajectory. Obama had a, a, a full House and a full Senate with Democrats. He should have been able to push through anything he wanted. Still couldn't get gun control legislation done because America is tired of it. America does not believe in it. America is not going to stand for it. And Obama just doesn't want to accept that as being the truth. But... We came and we elected Republicans again to take over the House and Senate to set us on a new path to obstruct the president from what he was trying to do, <coughs> to fight against Obamacare, to fight against the worst usurpations of a runaway government. And instead, the Republicans seem to just kowtow to everything that the White House wants and that we have, again, what was it, like four or five trillion dollars in debt added under Republican Congress. And so these Republicans who have not stood up, who have not stood in the gap, who have not marched forward and who have not done their jobs have created Donald Trump. And now they're saying, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? The the leadership of the GOP is like, well, we've we got to rein Trump in. we got to get him under control. we got to keep him under our thumb. And if they try to get him under the thumb, he's going to pop back out. And if he were to go under their thumb, he would lose all credibility and his entire followers. Now, the danger is, is Trump said that he wasn't going to run as a third party. And everyone remembers that. He signed the pledge. He said he wasn't going to run as a third party, provided that the Republicans would stand with him if he won the convention. Now, here's the issue. Superdelegates. I think Trump is going to not only win the convention, I think he's going to win the convention and lose the superdelegate race and not get the nomination. And that's when we're going to have a huge split. That's where the Republican Party is going to self-destruct. And all of the coalition that was built over the last 20 years, where the Christian conservative movement, the gun owners, the all of the various interest groups that are moving together with Republicans because the Democrats are just so bad, the ones the Republicans counted on as never going to vote for a Democrat no matter what, are suddenly going to have their coalition shattered. And will the Republican Party be relevant in the 2020s? I don't even know. We're getting to the point now where I don't know what's going to happen with the party that won't stand behind its base. And when in elections where the only people who are voting are the base, and that's where we've gotten to now. I mean, the, the young people, the people who are independents, the people who feel disenfranchised aren't even turning out. They don't care. They're not. They see absolutely no hope in these elections. You need to have a a, a radical to be able to draw those people in. That's what Bernie Sanders is. Did you know that this last week, you know, the the 80% of Republicans said that their vote is still up in the air. They haven't solidified. 80% of Democrats are saying that they are solidified. That's great news for Hillary Clinton, right? (coughs) Hillary's got like 60%. But that means that about 40% of people in the Democrat Party are allied behind Bernie Sanders. That that's kind of a shocking thing to think about, is because his very hardline, way far left political views are drawing a solid forty percent that say that they're not going to change their vote, and the Republicans are kind of in the same boat. They've got somebody who is running for their nomination who is taking a different tact that they can't really control, but he's getting a lot of support. Why is he getting a lot of support? Because people are tired. The American people are tired of all of this. They are tired of politics as usual. They are tired of being afraid of their government. And they want something shook up. And they're thinking maybe a businessman will walk into the White House and start looking around and saying, do we even need a Department of Education? Do we even need 
all of these regulations? Do we need an EPA that is setting up such draconian laws that people can't even you know, pump out their backyards when it floods? Is this something that's necessary in the business that is America? <clears throat> I have a feeling that if Donald Trump is elected, when he's in looking at his cabinet, we're going to hear you're fired more than once as he walks through and cleans house on some of these government departments that have no real reason other than to soak up tax money. And maybe we can start to get to a point where states keep their tax money instead of all of the money going to the federal government and then being returned to the state in fiat if the states do what the federal government asks them to do vis-a-vis things like you know uh, traffic laws or, or other funding measures. You know that that's the way that they got the 55-mile-an-hour national speed limit put in back in the 80s was by saying, if you don't do what we say, you're not going to get any money for roads and you're going to have to finance it all on your own. But you can't raise tax money because we're already taxing people so high at the federal level that there's no way that they could support the taxes and you'll get voted out of office. It was a complete power grab by the federal government by using the power of the purse to keep people's wages down to turn around and then lease the money back to the states in order to do fundamental state prerogative things like building roads and police departments and everything else that's done. So the federal government has usurped the tax system in such a way that it has bankrupted America's ability to may have meaningful change and to have laboratories of democracy in the 50 states. Maybe we can start to change some of that stuff, too, so that the federal government doesn't have usurping, overreaching powers. But it doesn't sure doesn't look like it when the Republicans are debating whether or not we should add people to a no-fly list and keep them from being able to buy guns. When these are things that ha- the federal government really doesn't have any business regulating. The federal government is here to, to conduct foreign wars, to enter into trade agreements, and to create treaties. They're to mo- regulate trade between the states. They're not supposed to be working in individuals' lives. And this is just absolutely so far beyond the pale that it's time that we need to do something. You know, folks, we're coming up on a commercial break. When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about how to join georgecarry.org, what you can do to get involved, because this is a time to get involved. This is a time for us as a people to come together and to make our voices heard, because the Republicans sure weren't listening. Democrats hate our guts. We need to turn this whole system around and get people involved in both parties who are willing to listen to common sense. They keep crying about common sense. Let's give them some common sense. We'll be right back. Now, back to GeorgiaCarry.org radio with Doug and Jesse King. Welcome back, everybody. So, <clears throat> when we were taking the commercial break, I said that we were talking a little bit about how to get involved. And this is the crucial part. This is why I've been here this last hour trying to talk to you guys, is to get you motivated to get involved, to get something done. We need to be calling Congress. We need to be calling our representatives. We need to be getting behind a candidate. I, I My son, okay? seven-year-old son says dad i'm not real sure that i want trump to be president and i said you know john i don't think that there was anybody two years ago who leaned back in their chair one night and says martha i just wish donald trump would run wouldn't it be great if donald trump decided to run for president wouldn't that make your day there's nobody in the country who's sitting back saying man donald trump that's what says president to me but let's think about this a minute boy <coughs> <clears throat> if if we're talking about who should be president if it comes down to being donald trump versus hillary clinton which one would you rather and my son says well trump i said all right well how about donald trump versus jeb bush and we we've discussed at length which kind of platform jeb bush has in my household and, and my son says well 
I guess I'd rather have Trump than Jeb Bush. I was like, yeah, absolutely. So what about Trump or somebody, let's just make up a candidate, who's really good on everything but says that you shouldn't own assault weapons? My son says, hmm. Trump said that if if he had been there when they were doing the shootings and he had his gun, then it wouldn't have happened that way. I'd rather have Trump. I was like, right. So it's not really that anybody wants Donald Trump to win. It's just given the lesser of two evils, this is what we're left with. And when we're dealing with me, <coughs> sorry, I get so choked up over this stuff. When we're dealing with people like Hillary Clinton, when we're dealing with people like John Kerry, and when we're dealing with people like, and I'm sorry to say, I'm breaking the 11th commandment here, but Jeb Bush, who really don't believe in individual freedom, we need to pick freedom over everything else. And if if we would have someone who had the convictions of, say, Rand Paul get the nomination for the Democratic nomination for president, I would vote for him as a Democrat over Trump as Republican. But what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to sit here and vote for a Jeb Bush or for a Mitt Romney. And I didn't vote for Mitt Romney. I didn't vote in that election because I could not hold my nose tight enough to be able to pull the lever on a Republican ticket with Mitt (coughs) Romney at the head. I I held my nose. I held my breath. I held my cough for John McCain, and I voted for him because I didn't want to see a Democrat president in my kid's lifetime who was totally screw up the system and 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 ruin things for my children but when it was already over and done with and i had to choose between someone who voted for an assault weapons ban or voting for barack obama i couldn't vote just couldn't do it neither one of them had my vote and here we are coming up to another presidential election and are they going to to take uh, who lost out to Mitt Romney last time? Because that, that seems to be the Republicans' strategy, is to whoever lost the last primary, whoever couldn't beat our last person who was beaten, let's run them. Folks, it's, it's a scary, scary thing. So what do we do? How do we get involved? Well, you need to get involved in the primary system. You need to get involved in backing a candidate, someone who is pro-freedom, and I don't care who they are, but get involved in backing candidates who are pro-freedom. And we are coming up on January, which in Georgia means legislative session, and you need to be talking to your representatives now. You need to be going to breakfast at Waffle House with your state rep. You need to be going for a breakfast with with um, your state senator Probably someplace nicer than Waffle House because those senators, you know, they're, they're used to a little bit higher standard of living. You might want to take them to Denny's. I don't know. But you need to get out there. <coughs> grab life by the horns. Grab these people and say, hey, we want better gun laws in Georgia. We want more freedom in Georgia. We want and get involved. All right. That's it. Get involved. And the way we're going to get involved and the way we're going to know what bills are coming up, the way we're going to be able to do something about what bills are coming up, whether they're good or bad or ugly, is to be a member of georgiacarry.org. Okay? Go to www.georgiacarry.org, top left-hand corner. Click membership. Join now. 20 bucks a year, 500 bucks for a lifetime. This is simple. Once you join up, you'll start getting emails. And they'll say, this bill is a great bill. We need it to go forward. It's in subcommittee. Come out for the hearing. This bill is a terrible bill. You need to call these reps and tell them that it needs to be changed in this way. This bill is coming up for a vote. We support it, but people are out against it. Call the governor's office. Tell them to sign this bill, but not that bill. And you'll know what's going on. That's the most important thing. You've got to have the inside knowledge to know what's going on and when. You've got to have an inside track to know who to call and when to show up. And some of these things are done in the dead of night. 
I mean, I can't tell you how many bills, especially on the federal level, are passed in the dead of night with a voice vote and nobody knows what happened and suddenly it's the law. Even the big legislation, Nancy Pelosi will come out and tell you, hey, <coughs> we got, <coughs> Nancy will tell you, we got to pass it so you can find out what's in it. I mean, this is ridiculous. So get involved. Become a GeorgiaCarry.org member. If you don't have, <coughs> if you don't have internet access, go to a gun show. Go to a local festival. Almost all the local festivals are being covered by GeorgiaCarry.org volunteers. Get signed up. Get involved. Know what's going on. Go to a local chapter meeting. Look at us on our Facebook pages. You can find out where the local chapter meetings are being held. It's a good chance to get have some fellowship with uh, fellow GeorgiaCarry.org members, people who believe in what you believe in. Hear a good speaker. Have some great food. And really, really have a moment to, to focus in on what's important in all of our lives. I mean, our kids need us to, to take a chance to get involved, to stick our necks out, and to preserve their, their freedoms. Their freedoms are at stake in every day now, and our government is looking at more and more ways to take our freedoms away. Most of you know I'm a criminal defense attorney. Most of you know that I rail on cops all the time. But the truth is, is that our police departments and our law enforcement officers are standing in the front lines in a way that are really remarkable at this time. I'm looking at some of the stories I've seen this last week of sheriffs across the country lowering the price for permits, making it so that people can get permits easier, encouraging people, if you have a gun, carry it. If you can apply for or if you have to have a permit, come get one. That's an astonishing thing. You know, usually they say, well, police officers are against all of these, you know, weapons. They're, they're afraid of having to come into contact with these kind of weapons. The police officers are afraid of, of having to fight against crooks who are better armed than they are. The truth is, is that honest police officers in this entire country are coming forward and saying, hey, you guys are the front line. You guys need to carry. You guys can be there before we can. And we support you. We support you getting the training you need to be able to be effective. We support you having the weapons you need to be able to stop somebody. And this is an amazing time. This is truly one of the most remarkable times I've ever seen in American history when we, the people, are coming forward to say we believe in something. We believe in self-defense. We believe in taking care of ourselves. And we will not go quietly into the night. We are not going to go down without a fight. We are going to stand up and take a personal responsibility for what we're doing. The government doesn't like it. The government is afraid of any time that the people start to say, we don't need you. The government needs us to need it. And if the moment we stop needing it, then it goes away. And it becomes really what it's supposed to have been in the first place. And that threatens a lot of people's power. That threatens a lot of people's livelihoods. That threatens a lot of people's ability to live the good life without having to put in an honest day's work. And that is a scary prospect for them. But it is a joyous opportunity for all of us. It is time. This is the time to step up, step forward, and to start to make a difference. You need to be contacting your reps. You need to be contacting your senators. You need to be contacting the governor. You need to be a member of Georgia Care. You need to be contacting the feds in both the House, the Senate, and the presidency. I don't care if Obama's going to listen or not. You need to be calling. You need to be ringing off that White House operator so that they don't even know what to do with all the calls that are coming in, decrying the actions they're taking. Just yesterday, I saw an article that Obama 
is contemplating executive action to increase the background checks and close the gum show loophole, creating de facto registration of every firearm in the country because it would have to go through an FFL for a transfer. He can't do that. Congress won't do it. He can't do it alone. It's time for us to make a stand on things like this. It's time for us to have a Congress that's willing to fight the president and not to just kowtow to everything he's going to do. It's time for us to elect people who are people of character, people who have a backbone, people who are willing to stand up and fight. It's time to be involved. And if you are not doing something today, then you are fighting the wrong side of the battle. Acquiescence is capitulation. And if we are going to capitulate our rights, then our children are no longer safe. We live in a dangerous world. This is a world where terrorists are seeking to kill us every day. This is a world where entire nations of people are rising up and saying death to America. Well, if we're going to stand in a world like this, if we are going to continue to be a light and beacon of hope and opportunity in this country, in this entire world, if this country is going to stand up and be something meaningful, we must fight now. And the way we fight is to make sure that our country is upheld accountable to his founding principles, including self-righteous determination for self-defense, for the ability to have free speech, freedom of religion. And I don't care, Mr. Trump, if you think that Muslims are bad people, all of them. They're not all bad. There are a lot of bad ones. There are a lot of bad ones. But they're not all bad. And we're not going to have any kind of litmus tests on religion. But what we are going to do is have litmus tests on actions. If you do something that endangers the health and safety and lives of American people, we will hunt you down and you will not survive the night. That is the end of it. Folks, Tune in next week, same time, same channel. Doug King, signing off. This has been GeorgiaCarry.org Radio with Doug and Jesse King. GeorgiaCarry.org is Georgia's no-compromise voice for gun owners. Tune in each week for valuable information on protecting your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. GeorgiaCarry.org Radio, Saturday mornings at 8 on News Talk 1160, the talk of the town. 